Hello to all my involuntary reality show participants. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Chris Gathard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Very happy to be talking to you again. So psyched that I get to meet some of you guys this week, uh, Wednesday night, tomorrow, if you're listening when this comes out. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I think that show is just about sold out, if not sold out already. Thursday night, I'll be in Charleston, South Carolina, at Theater 99. That one, I think, is going to sell out, too, so grab your tickets right now if you're in Charleston, South Carolina. Then Friday and Saturday, I'm doing shows at the Dead Crow Comedy Club in Wilmington, North Carolina. Not going to lie, you're able to get a ticket. They're not selling like hotcakes there, so if you're on the fence, help your boy get out. I'm going to buy a ticket from Wilmington Friday and Saturday night. Thanks to everybody who enjoyed our episode last week with our blind caller. Um, it was so beautiful to see the reaction. A lot of people hated his stories of being bullied and uh, said on the Facebook group and on Twitter that they, they got a lot out of it. And that really means a lot. That's why the show exists, to bring us all together and to give voice to people who don't get to go on record in their own words as often as they should. Facebook group also made me laugh. Join the beautiful anonymous Facebook community. It's like the one corner of the internet that I still think is positive. This guy, Russell, put up this thing. It made me laugh. He goes, I love the podcast, but who else wants a new robot voice in the beginning? It's so off-putting. And he made it a poll. I'm happy to tell you, over 400 people voted for, no, I like that strange, creepy robot. 37 people voted for, kill all humans, bite my shiny metal ass. 19 votes for, yes, new robot voice, please. 10 votes for, keep current robot, but make it say Chris Gethard again, which it has never said. Uh, eight votes for get Morgan Freeman to do it. Two votes for that weird WB frog. And one vote for Klatu Barada Nikto, a thing I don't know what that means. You guys, this week's call, uh, you're it's, a, it's tough. It's such a tough one, but a really beautiful one. The caller is uh, such a thoughtful person. He went through something that I think a lot of us would view as a nightmare. He was in uh, an accident where somebody died. And we don't often think of that. What happens when you're on the periphery of that situation? What a hard thing to wrap your head around. He tells us all about it. He, he really opens up about the effects that it had, how he still thinks about it. And uh, I never really sat and thought about a story like that from this exact perspective. And I think you might be really fascinated and really interested in the places where it goes. I thank the caller for opening up, and I thank you for listening. Enjoy. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host, Chris Gethard. Hello? Hello, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Well, I'll be honest, I'm getting over some kind of, uh, like one of these 24-hour flus. It rocked my ass for real. <laughs> I feel that. It's been going around. I know a few other people with that. Yeah, I felt bad. My Spending it off for a day. When yeah, Wednesday night, I got I was just walking around, and all of a sudden I had like real quick fever and chills and stuff. And then I was just laying on the couch all day, and I felt bad because it was Valentine's Day. But I still managed to rally and go on a date with the wife. But I'm getting over it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 
How you? How you? Uh, how you feeling? You sound healthy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sipping my coffee. I just got uh, some lunch and saw your uh, post and called right away. So yeah, right. I'm glad to get on. I've been listening to uh, Beautiful Anonymous for a few years now. It's helped me through a lot of stuff. Well, I'm happy to help. Um. So yeah, I actually uh, the reason why I listen to beautiful anonymous was uh, a few years back about three years ago I was in a pretty bad car accident that I didn't really know how to handle and listening to beautiful anonymous really helped me get out of my rut of anxiety and you know grief um, and kind of got me back into a place where I could kind of function day to day wow I really appreciate the work that you do because it's helped me greatly throughout my life. Well, that's that's amazing to hear that that the show helped, and I'm sure everybody who has called in and contributed to that feels the same way. That's uh, that's amazing. I'm really yeah. sorry to hear that you had that accident, though. Yeah, uh, it was it was an an interesting uh, time in my life. Um, it was one of those days where you kind of just get home and you're just wondering how am I still here? Um, a guy hit me going 90 miles an hour on a two lane road uh, from behind on his motorcycle and uh, did not make it Whoa. where I did. Wow. So, yep. so you, so this is what, like a two lane road, is this, is it rural? Is it suburban? What are we, what are we talking here? So I'm, um, so I'm from Long Island, so it's suburban. Uh-huh. Uh, this was back when I lived there. I live in Brooklyn now. Uh, and yeah, it's a two lane road. I made the right arm to it. I saw a light, you know, a mile down the road by the time I was making the left. He was right behind me. And the weirdest part about all of it is, you know, I stepped out of the car. I didn't really, I I didn't really see the guy's face. You know, he was just on the ground and, uh, you know, the next day I'm kind of just sitting in my house trying to wrap my hat, my head around the fact that I'm alive. And, uh, a friend texts me and he goes, Oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And my heart sinks because the kid who was two years younger than me in the same high school, and we have a a slew of mutual friends. I'm looking on my Instagram that day, and I just see, you know, everyone posting and being like, oh, my God. And so it's like all of that. People I know have tattoos. I was going to the gym in my town, and I'd see people with, like, sweatshirts that they made for him. And there's a lot of sensory things that uh wouldn't let me really heal from it oh, uh, wow. in the time that it happened and was he someone that you yeah, said you had a uh, bunch of mutual friends had you had you ever met yeah that's that's the crazy thing i didn't know who he was i uh i knew his brother because he used to come into uh the coffee shop i worked at you know every day but it, i had no idea that he had a younger brother or who he was I really started to discover how many 
people we both knew once it all happened. And uh, it's, it's weird to look at people you know grieving and not really be able to... I couldn't come to anybody's aid because his family was suing me. Oh, wow. But I couldn't say anything. Yeah. Wow, that's a whole mess. And so you... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an understatement. I can't imagine. So, so yeah, I mean, it's. I got to say, when you first said you were in a car accident, I figured that the show helped you with the physical recovery. But this was all... I don't know if it was all, but it sounds like it was mostly sort of the mental and emotional recovery that was necessary. Yeah, it, it completely was. Um, you know, I've dealt with, I dealt with anxiety through, throughout college. You know, I went on a round of medication and all that. I've been off, been off medication for six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. uh, I just found that it didn't work for me. And I started, you know, the gym really is, what brought me some peace of mind in that way. But once that happened, um, since I, I've, I've tried therapy a few times and it, it just doesn't connect for me, mm -hmm. uh, in the way that really listening to you talk to other people and the things that they're going through helped me kind of realize that things were going to be okay. Well, I will say yeah, that, that's very nice. I do want to say that uh, I've gone on record to say that this show is is no replacement for therapy. And sometimes people have said that, and it does scare me, although it sounds like you tried it and figured out that it wasn't your thing, and that's, that is the case for a lot of people. But I just want to say for anybody out there listening who's thinking of therapy and leaning on this show as a replacement, that's not, it's, not a, it's not a valid replacement. Um, I do feel... <laughs> honor bound to point that out that let's let's before anybody jumps into that let's keep in mind that the caller did just say that it was something that you've tried and that you've and that you've done and that um that's important too um yeah all listeners please still try <laughs> yes <laughs> still please, go I, I feel like that could be the motto for this entire show please still try Please still try. It's just, I think that's it. I think you nailed it. It's a lot of just regular people listening to other regular people's stories as an excuse to just find a way to keep trying. And uh, yeah, like you've done it. How long ago was this accident? Um, we're going on about three years now. Wow, so not yeah. that long. And so, was it? Uh, and uh, there might be stuff that you're not allowed to comment on or that you don't want to speak to. But you said he was going 90 miles an hour. Is it just a case of? Because I'm from Jersey, very similar culture to Long Island. It is just kid got a motorcycle. He wanted to see how fast it could go. He's out screwing around one night, and it was it, it just went the went the tragic yeah, direction. Was it as simple as that? Pretty much. Uh, thankfully for me, where it happened was outside of um, a strip of stores, so all of them had outward facing cameras that had the accident on video. Yeah. Uh, and the detective said to me, they're like, Hey man, we watched the video. This guy's had ticket after ticket after ticket. You're, you're just the car it happened to is really wow. what they said to me. Wow. And, and has yeah. that lawsuit, has that been resolved yet? Yeah, that's resolved. Um, I think it was just settled between the insurance companies. 
and yeah. all that, you know, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it was like they found something like I was 10% liable or something like that just for being in the car as it goes. Right. Right. And, and, and you said that, you know, as, as it happens when anyone passes away, let alone a young person, a lot of memorializing and, and celebrating of the person's life. And you're in this very odd position of being involved in his death. Was it public? Did, did, did people around your town know that you were the one involved? So I told, I told, you know, some close friends, I called them the next day and stuff and was like, Hey, it was me. <laughs> it was my car. Um, some people actually figured it out from the town article that was posted because it has my age at the time and the car I drove and it happened on a block that was close to my house. So people, so a few people who knew me pretty well, um, you know, I saw them a few months after and they're like, Hey, I read that article and those two facts are definitely you. You're the only one I know who drives that car. So I was like, yep, good job. Good job, Sherlock Holmes. You, you cracked the case. He cracked my secret. Wow. And were, was there any sense of people holding you to blame, or did people recognize that it was, it was a, br- um, a brutal thing for you to go through as well? So there was only one person that uh, really was blaming me, and it was uh, a girl that I was, you know, kind of on and off dating. We, we had just been when talking, you know, went on a few dates and stuff, and then that happened. And something I didn't know until a month or so later after I kept talking to her uh, was that he was her best friend. She had never really mentioned him before, or at least they were close. And one day I picked her up, we went out to lunch, I dropped her back, and apparently they lived uh, on the same block. And the guy's mom went to her and was like, what were you doing in that car with him? That's who this accident was with. And then she texted me being like, did you know this? How could you (laughs) still talk to me after? I'm like, Oh, Oh good. More, more intertwining (laughs) into my life. Everything's wrapped up in it. Now I've been in a, a few car accidents. I think I've been in three, all minor it's uh do you do yeah, you find you um go for hear it. the sound a lot that was what I was just gonna say is that it's not like the movies because it's all sound it's for me at least, and you tell me if this was your experience, and obviously I can't speak to everybody's experience, it just feels like your it feels like something's going really wrong with your car is what I have found being in some minor accidents of like. There's this rumbling and the steering is heading in directions you're not doing it. And you just hear that like, like these weird sounds that it's not, you're like, oh, my car doesn't make that sound. But it's like, oh, no, that's all coming from the outside. I was just going to say the same thing. Was that your uh, sensation of the, the actual accident as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a fairly visual memory as it goes to, which is super beneficial for <laughs> this event right. in my life. Right. But uh yeah, I hear I hear the engines and I hear kind of the scraping. 
that's that's what really uh, gets me. Like if I hear a motorcycle engine outside, my mind goes straight to it. Yeah. And I you I note you said you moved to Brooklyn. I can't help but wonder. You're now living in uh, New York City, a place where you notoriously do not need to drive to get around. Was that part of the move? Yeah. Um, I work I work downtown, so, uh, you know, Brooklyn just kind of made sense as far as a commute, but I cannot tell you how much I love not driving <laughs> now. Um, oh, when the accident happened, actually, one thing... I made myself do was the next day I got, I couldn't get into my car cause it was total, but I got into my dad's car and I was like, I'm going for a drive. I'll be back whenever. Cause I knew that going through as much anxiety as I did in college and all of that, I remember having the thought looking at what was happening around me with the accident thinking, is this going to break me? And I went, no, it's not. I was like, I'm not letting something like this take me down after, you know, four years through college struggling with anxiety and all that. So the next day I was like, we're going to bite my lip and we're going to drive. So I know that I'll be okay. So uh, it's, it's a circumstance that you don't think about too often because you hear you hear stories about tragic stuff and or you hear stories about someone who caused an accident and caused someone to die and they have to live with that forever. But to be someone who is just sort of wrong place, wrong time, and someone dies in the process, you don't hear you don't think about that story too often. But it must happen every single day that people are. Tangentially right. involved, or bystanders, bystanders, or just there, and a moving piece in this larger tragedy, and you don't think about the ripple effect of that. Yeah, I mean it's it's changed it's changed a lot of how I kind of just look at life and try to behave. You know, for the first year there, I kind of felt like especially since this is someone who was in my school district and, you know, like people I know knew him, I felt that I had to live for the both of us mm-hmm. in a way, you know, like, cause how the car accident happened, it was, it was either one of us or both of us. And I just happened to, you know, pull off the left turn at the right time. Cause he would have, gone right through my driver's side with wow. a heavy Harley. Wow. So his, his, yeah. he, so you're saying he, he, and I don't want to be too macabre, but just because you're presenting the, the image, he was going fast enough that his motorcycle was almost like a projectile that went through your car. Yeah. So basically he hit me from behind and kind of motorcycle kind of skimmed the car and went under him. And he went up and the motorcycle landed on, like went through a fence onto someone's lawn and got stopped by a tree. But if it didn't hit that tree, it probably would have went into their house. Oh my God. Ooh. Yeah, I'll never go on a motorcycle. I know, right? It was was a day. (laughs) 
I'll never go Neither on a motorcycle. I. Yeah, I had a cousin who died on one uh, when I was in seventh grade. And, uh, yeah, I just, I've just never been either been able to go on them and uh i don't know this is not an anti-motorcycle podcast just uh i just can't i can't reconcile that image Ooh, i don't like that i don't like that so you said you said this whole experience has readjusted some of the ways that you think in general walk me through that what are the things that have sort of uh transformed in your mindset well so when it happened i was kind of in a limbo part of my life i had just graduated college I was, you know, still working at my college job. I was, I just got a new one that was kind of, you know, another part-time thing where I could uh, travel around the country and do, uh, and set up business conferences pretty much. So that gave me a lot of, uh, that was actually really helpful as well because I got to get out of my town for extended amounts of time and kind of travel around the country and just not be around things that could remind me of everything that happened. But it really put a new perspective on, I just don't, I don't get angry anymore. Really? You know, like, I I mean, I do as, as anyone, as anyone would at, at things, but you know, there's nothing really that bothers me so much to the core where I'm like, I can't even get out of bed today. It's, it's more of like, I'm alive and at any moment I might not be, I could just be driving home from work. So it's kind of taking every day and just trying to, you know, reach goals or just make the most of things. You know, I, one of my goals was by uh, 25 to be out of the house and I achieved it. And having, you know, the thought of I could easily have, you know, lost feeling in my legs from that accident. It was just kind of a little kick in the butt. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 25 still, yeah. You're 25. So this happened when you were 22. Yeah. Man. So that's like... Was you just you just graduated college? Yeah, pretty much right there. I graduated a little late, but uh, yeah, it was pretty much right out within the last like six months or so before it happened. Wow, that's yeah. a uh, that's a hell of a way to kick off your your entry into the phase of life when you're when you're supposed to be finding your own footing. Yeah, it's interesting too because I found that I wasn't even helping myself so much as I was helping my. Uh, my parents or, you know, my family, because they were all kind of, my dad the most, he's, he said one thing that was really funny to me because he goes, uh, oh, I don't drive that way that uh, you had the accent because it's pretty much where we all drive our cars to get onto the main road. And I was like, why? You're, you're driving an extra 10 minutes just to, you know, you're ignoring it. I would still drive that same way every day when I had to. I didn't change. I didn't want to change anything I did in my life based on the fact that that happened, at least in a negative way. You know, like I'm not going to avoid certain things because it happened because 
I felt once I started to adjust my life based on the event that I've lost. At a certain point, we have to pause, and that time is upon us. Let's pause right now for advertisements. Hey, if you uh, like the ads and the products and the services that are being offered, use the promo codes. It helps the show when you do. We'll be right back with more phone call after this. The Eero Home Wi-Fi system brings you a fast, reliable connection in every room of the house because life's too short for bad Wi-Fi. Second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that's more perfectly tailored to the home than ever before. When you add Eero Plus, you'll get total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network. By checking the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, Eero Plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites without slowing anything down. Eero Plus automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit right from the Eero app. You also get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices. Ad blocking improves load times for ad-heavy sites, so you can browse and stream faster than ever before. I got one of these, and it's cool. Improves Wi-Fi. There is nothing more annoying than Wi-Fi that goes on the fritz, where it, uh, and then you're trying to figure out what went wrong, and you can't even get anybody to answer your questions, and you're sitting there plugging and unplugging things, this old, outdated style. Eero's cool. It's new, makes it easy, makes it foolproof, easy to set up. I like it. You can get $100 off, 100 bucks off, the Eero base unit and two beacons package, and a year of Eero Plus by visiting eero.com slash beautiful, entering code beautiful at checkout. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash beautiful, code beautiful at checkout. You get a hundred bucks off. This is a great deal. Are you looking for a self-help podcast that might change your life for the better? Or at the very least, make you laugh? Well, maybe it's time to start listening to Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You, a satirical podcast about an underqualified, overconfident lifestyle entrepreneur played by comedian Peter Aldring. Trust me when I say this podcast is hilarious, so is the character. The show makes fun of all those thought leader, life hacker, productivity optimizer ideas that surround our digital lives and clog up the social media feeds. Finally, there's a show making fun of all that stuff. Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You features real interviews with successful people like celebrities and cultural visionaries, business moguls. It's a one-stop shop for all the life strategies to help you crush it. This weekly podcast is a must-listen if yourself is looking for help. And let's not forget also a lot of laughs. Dust Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. I felt once I started to adjust my life based on the event that I've lost. Yeah. At least adjust my life negatively. Right. Right. Wow. It's weird, too. Yeah, I'm, hitting you, I'm hitting you with the heavy stuff this Friday. Oh, that's okay. I, I can handle heavy stuff. It's uh, a lot to think about. I also want to say, too, that obviously, and it sounds like you probably have your own version of this, too, you know, we are pondering the way it's affected your life and we are sort of exploring how it can really mentally take its toll on you. But it it also sounds like you do 
feel great sadness for the kid who died and his family and friends too. Um, it doesn't sound like, like there's, yeah. I, I'm sure there's the temptation for an internet commenter to hear this and go, well, why is this guy making it all about him? And, um, it sounds to me, I just wanted to like cut that off at the past because it doesn't sound, you've indicated through the time too that you're like, yeah, no, my whole town is grieving over this thing I was involved in. That's, it's, 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 uh, it's just another, it's just another aspect of this to wrap your head around. Yeah. That, cause you know, when it happened, I was, I, all I could remember thinking was at least when I was thinking of who, who is this person? I just kept thinking, I hope they don't have kids. Like, please don't let them have kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it looked wow. like an old, it looked like an older guy. I was like, please don't make it that some kids just lost their dad. It's like, I don't want that on my conscience. And then, uh, I don't know which one's worse. Right. <laughs> Comparatively. Um, yeah, I think, I think about them all the time. Yeah. Is it still three years later? Do you, is this, have you, do you think about it every day still? Um, it depends. Um, definitely every week. Uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have struggles sleeping and stuff like that at times just cause I'm seeing it in my head. Um, yeah, I think about it all the time. It, it's hard when, uh, people complain to me sometimes about, small things. And, uh, I've had this with my sister a lot because she knows what I've been through as a whole. And, uh, I, I love her. Um, but she is kind of one of those, uh, turned Manhattanites, if you will. Where, oh, uh, believe, okay. So it, let's, it, if I can, just, yeah. let's pause and talk about this. Cause you and I just clicked hard. Let's explain this for anyone listening, because so, you and I are both giggling at this shared culture. So, okay, okay, we're going to take a This is going to be just a little bit of a departure from your, the story that I definitely want to hear, and a melancholic story, a sad story. But let, as you just said something very interesting. So when you grow up, you tell me if you agree or disagree. When you grow up in northern New Jersey, Staten Island, or Long Island, there's a very, very weird relationship with Manhattan, and there's a very weird relationship with people who leave those places to go to Manhattan. That's what you're referring to, because you were just dripping with a little bit of uh, scorn when you said a, uh, what was the phrase you used? Manhattanite, turned Manhattanite. Turned, she's a turned Manhattanite. The idea of being a turned Manhattanite is a little bit of a turnoff sometimes to uh, the people from those those outlying regions surrounding Manhattan. Yeah, it's like it's like suddenly they moved to the city and forgot that they grew up in a suburb. Yeah, there's. Did you have this too growing up in Long Island? I, I know in North Jersey there was a little bit of a thing where if somebody's dad worked in the city, that was a thing we could use to make fun of them. Like that was almost a thing we'd say to say like, "Oh, you think you're better than us because your dad works in the city." And now I'm a grown up, and I'm like. Why did we care about that? That just means that their dad was probably like working hard and doing pretty well for himself. Good for him. But that was a thing back in the day of like, oh, your dad works in the city. You think you're better than us. There's a weird thing with the city when you grow up where we grew up. Oh, for for Long Island, since um, 
since most people work in the city who live on Long Island, like we all use the Long Island Railroad, yeah. that lovely transit system that's never delayed and never <laughs> causes problems. Um, usually the conversation would be, oh, your, your dad works in the city, so he's going to be home, what, like 9 p.m.? So your house is open to like get drunk and smoke in. Right. Long Island has that party culture. (laughs) Long Island has a little bit Mm -hmm. more of that party culture. And I, here's another question I'll ask you about Long Island. I feel like everyone I know who grows up in Long Island has like a rite of pass. It seems like a rite of passage when you grow up in Long Island is having a story about a time that you vomited on the Long Island railroad. True or false? Oh, a hundred percent. I I can I can tell you I can tell you still at twenty five I I um the day I signed the lease to my apartment in Brooklyn I went out in Queens with a friend just way too much just way too much partying for a day that I for a day after that I actually had to do things and I'm on the train home from Brooklyn. And I'm looking at my my roommate. We're at Jamaica, and I'm like, "Dude, I'm gonna do it." He's like, "No, you're not." I go, "Yep." I I got off at Jamaica. We had ten minutes to tell the transfer. I went up to those like that JetBlue terminal bathroom, and I just went for it. <laughs> Everybody, like, great. I knew that one wouldn't All fail. Everyone I know who's grown mm-hmm. up in Long Island has vomited on the railroad and is weirdly proud of it. Oh, I'm definitely proud of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have I have no shame. Oh no, I got that cough laugh thing going. That post yeah, there you go. Cough laugh thing. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, not as you just out with with every laugh. Yeah, I feel like the Long Island Railroad. You guys have a lot of pride in throwing up. New Jersey Transit. We don't. We don't have. It's not like a cultural thing to have throwing up. I think we're just proud to survive. I think. I think we're just proud <laughs> to hang. Because here's another thing too. Here's another thing too, that you can speak to. Because Long Island and Jersey. Why are we the ones that have to deal with Penn Station? Right. Grand Central's beautiful. Oh. West oh, it's so nice. I've all stand up bit about it. And you go into, oh, and then you go into Penn Station, and you're like, "What is this <laughs> dirt trap with pigeons?" I've walked into literally pigeons flying around inside. It's like one of the mm-hmm. like when you watch those old movies, like when you watch Taxi Driver, or you know those old New York movies that show what it used to be like. Even Big weirdly has those scenes at Times Square. Penn Station and Port Authority are really the only two places left in Manhattan I can think of where you're like, oh, this is 1970s, 1980s New York. They just, they didn't, (laughs) Giuliani ran out of money before he got to these, man. What's going on? Yeah, he worked worked on uh, getting all the homeless off the street around Penn Station, but instead just put them inside. Right, that's that's where, as everybody's always (laughs) been like the conspiracy theories of where he sent them, it's... Largely Port Authority and, and Penn Station, it seems. Um, okay, that was our Long Island Railroad tangent, our side trip. <laughs> you know what I like about you since we're talking about Long Island? Because you mentioned you hit the gym a lot. And you do have a faint, you have a Long Island accent a little bit. I'm sure that's something you've heard. Um, and Yeah, it comes out when I drink a lot more. Yeah, I can hear, because it's very similar. <laughs> it's, people really hear it. 
the North Jersey accent is a cousin. When I get worked up or, or angry or excited, sometimes the Jersey, I start going, ah, that's horrible. Coffee, dog. Um, but you, there's the stereotype of like the Long Island muscle head. Um, and I like that you are a guy with a Long Island oh. accent who hits the gym a ton, but it's your therapy. That there's people who might go, oh, this is some Long Island bro. And you're like, no, this is how I can process my feelings after a recent trauma. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I actually have a, a few friends who, you know, like they don't really know what I've been through or whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to the gym or whatever. And they try to like make fun of me like, oh, yeah, you're going to the, going to the gym. You're going to lift, bro? What you, what you, uh, what you benching today? You're like, here's <laughs> like what I'm, all the, all the time. <laughs> you're like, here's what I'm benching. My feelings. Fuck off. That's what I'm benching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's what I'm benching. Uh, my like, feelings. <laughs> yeah. I'm deadlifting to sadness, not to gain. Right. Right. <laughs> for every, for every ounce of muscle I gain, um, there is a, a piece of, of misery that I find I am able to fend off for at least another day or so. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank that's you exactly so what it is. It is crazy I'm though. Like, thank how... you for. Oh. Go for it. No, no. Continue. I was just going to do a, a dumb bit. Do the dumb bit. I love the dumb bit. You deserve a dumb bit. I, I, I'm trying to do dumb bits. I want to get into stand-up. You're, you're someone who's inspired me to do it. All right. Well, if you're looking to be other. less depressed, I don't know if stand-up is the medium for you. Stand-up is the most fun and rewarding type of comedy, but definitely the most depressing as well. But if you, by all means, I'm not trying to discourage you from your dreams at all. Just understand that if you're, no, if you're trying to avoid depression, late night open mics are not the, it's, it's all there is. It's all there is. No, I, kind of just, I just want to see if I can make people laugh. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't even care if I, you know, fail super hard or anything like that. I just want to be able to say I, I went for it. Well, I think that's very commendable to go for it. And I think one of the things that's really true about stand-up for me and that it sounds like maybe where your head's at would be very rewarding for you is one of the things I love the most is that when you get up on stage and you actually get that laugh, a lot of times you feel like that laugh is someone understanding you. And uh, it is a pretty fantastic way to process some ways that you feel kind of twisted up or broken. And uh, I think that's probably, I think all yeah. I think all artists probably have some relationship with their medium like that. But I know that when you get up there and you say a thing that's dark and someone actually laughs at it, you're like, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one that's thought this horrific thought. All right, yeah. someone gets it. Okay. Yeah, that's ex it's kind of exactly what I'm going for with it, yeah. you know, because uh, amongst the car accident, I've just been in other ridiculous but funny situations that I've kind of put myself in. Um, the, the bad way that I've uh, also dealt with this car accident um, is probably, you know, swiping on dating apps a little too much. Uh, and uh okay and it's put me it's put me in really weird situations like one time i uh tried to meet a girl on a date and it ended up being like a flavor for love date contest 
What's wait? That what? ensued. I, I missed that reference. What's flavor for love? So that is a uh, old. There's definitely a few listeners right now who are like, I love that show. Um, oh wait, the flavor flavor one show with flavor Flav. Yeah. Oh yeah, flavor of uh-huh. love. Yeah, flavor of love. Yep. That show was a so that was like a yeah, dating. It was like a dating show that was like a. It was like a dating show that had drank nineteen Red Bulls. It was just insane. <laughs> How did you wind exactly. up on a date that was reminiscent of Flavor of Love, the uh, oft-forgotten <laughs> hip-hop-driven dating show of a decade-plus yeah. ago? Yeah, right next to all the Brett Michaels ones that they have. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then they had the spin-off one with New York from the Flavor of Love. Oh, oh my God. I forgot they had that one. Yeah, yeah. each one had that good era oh. of... Truly deplorable television that I loved. Oh, it's incredible! I I love watching just train wreck television. Me and you both. It just brings a lot of joy to my life. Me and you both. So walk me through um, this date. All right. So this one was so weird. Um, I matched with a girl in June. You know, um, we texted like. A little bit. She gave me her number pretty quick. And then she was like, oh, I'm going to be so busy the rest of the summer. Um, can I text you late summer and we'll meet up and, and do something? I'm like, all right, whatever. It's a dating app. Forget you. I'll talk to whoever else. Fast forward to August. I get a text from her and she's like, hey, it's so-and-so. I don't know if you remember me. Um, I'm actually around Sunday. I just want to see my friend's. Like, my friend's doing some DJ set in Union Square. Um, I just want to say hi, and then we'll go grab a drink. So I'm like, you know, sure. I got nothing to do this Sunday. I'll, I'll come meet you. So I go to Union Square. Um, guy's doing a DJ set. Looks pretty normal for a man doing a set in the middle of Union Square. Um, I text her. She hasn't texted me back. It's kind of like 15 minutes after she told me we'd meet up. I'm looking around. I'm like, there's a lot of guys here. A weird number of men are here. I heard about this. I heard about this. You were involved in that? Um, So this might out me, but it's fine. This thing Um, made the news, right? It was was my Instagram post. That hopped on all the news channels. Now, let me, if, if I remember right, you're, you're talking about an incident. As you were saying it, I was like, did we have a caller who talked about this before? But this was in the news. It was uh, a, a, a woman matched with tons of people and then kind of made them all show up and compete for her hand, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Whoa. Chris, it was wild. Did you walk (laughs) away? So did a lot of people just like turn around and walk away when they realized what that was? Or did people get into it? Um, There were a few people who actually got into it. Like, and the weirdest part was she got on stage and we had all kind of figured out that um, we were all there for her because we started talking to each other, like in the crowd. Because some guy was like, are you trying to meet so-and-so? I'm like, ah, no. 
you too. Like, did she just try to get us here for this guy's DJ set so he had a crowd? <laughs> and uh, you know, that was my logical assumption. Yeah. You know, that she just duped us for a friend. And then she gets on stage, and we're like, "Oh, what do you have to say for yourself?" She goes on about it, how it's like a whole dating competition. And her, the first few things she said to, you know, take everybody out and slim the pack, she goes, you can't be a tourist, no khakis, you must be over 5'8", and your name can't be Jimmy. <laughs> Those were the four criteria at first. Wow. I'm just sitting there going, what are you? Like, who do you think you are? So did you compete? And it's just like a random Insta model who tried to do this. No, as soon as soon as I realized what was happening, I I actually FaceTimed a friend and I was like, remember how I told you I was on a date? Well, look at this amazing nonsense that's turned into. And then I started recording the actual video. And uh, yeah, it got picked up by the news. Wow. Wow. That's uh, the dating apps. Are they... They're dehumanizing, huh? They can be. They can be really nice and introduce you to people who you got a lot in common with. Some people have met their significant others long-term, their spouses. But even like that is someone actually tried to suck you into a, uh, an involuntary, they used it as like an involuntary alternate reality gaming experience. And even before that, you were like, oh, she can't meet till August. All right, yeah, whatever. I'll forget you then. Like those dating apps can really twist your uh, perspective on... On dating in general, huh? Want to be clear? I'm not trying to slam dating apps. I just think they're an interesting sociological phenomenon that will be studied in the future. But hey, they can help fill voids in some people's lives. You know You know what else fills voids? Products and services that check all the boxes for things you don't currently have in your life. Listen to these ads. Use the promo codes. We'll be right back. Okay, Cupid is the only dating app that finds you someone based on who you are and what you're into. The OkCupid dating app asks you fun and meaningful questions that matter to you. No judgments, just a way for people to see you for you and connect on a deeper level. From questions like, would you pay an extra $5 for guac? To are you close to your family? And should partners know one another's passwords? You'll see tons of answers that lead to great conversations and great dates with people who feel the same way you do. There's all sorts of questions out there. It's funny. You think about those right away. You're like, yeah, no, I, I would know a lot about a person just from those questions, let alone um, some of the other questions. Are you a good trivia team member? I would learn a lot about a person before dating them if they answered that honestly. Do you have a preferred cuddling position? Might be a little intimate for me out of the gate, but you could learn a lot. Do you like to go clubbing? Would you choose to use your vacation time on a cruise? That one would let you know a lot about the person and what a cool app that they're trying to go ahead and give you that insight. Tell people about your favorite album, your last great trip, your favorite podcast. Let the love roll in on the OkCupid app. Whether you're looking for that person to join you on a long walk on the beach or a short walk to the pool bar, they're waiting for you on the OkCupid app. Download the free OkCupid app today and meet people who will appreciate all the awesome things that make you, you. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Now let's finish off this phone call. Those dating apps can really twist your uh, perspective on on dating in general, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I've I've been on I've had numerous 
experiences with it. And, and, you know, I've had some really great ones. Like I have a friend who uh, was an au pair on Long Island and we met up, we just became friends. And uh, like, she is from Germany, lives in Germany now. And, you know, we became such good friends that she would come out like with all my friends to, you know, a house out East on Long Island that we rented for a weekend or something like that. Um, when she's come back to visit a, the state, she stayed at my parents' house with me. Like I've gained really incredible relationships from it, but then also in the same hand, uh, someone tried to put me on a weird dating competition. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm breaking even, even <laughs> with the dating app. Right. You've made international friends that you never would have met without them. Also, someone once tried to suck mm. you into a Black Mirror episode against your will. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so pretty much. Yeah, just, that's a wash. It's, it's an average level of uh, dating apps are fine. Right, right. <laughs> now, you said you were hiding out in them. You said that that became maybe a little bit. You indi- I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth. You said it maybe became a little bit of a vice as you dealt with your grief uh, post the accident. Yeah, that's it's hard to admit, but it, it's accurate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to distract yourself when, you know, you're constantly messaging, you know, like four people or something like that throughout the day. And it's really easy to just use it as a distraction. Right. And I would also imagine too, it lends itself towards, oh, you can have conversations with people um, and even hang out with people. And when it gets up to the point where they actually say, how are you doing or what's your deal? You can get out of there because it's meant for casual conversation um, at first. Right. So it gives you yeah, a chance you to don't, You don't flee. feel as connected to the person initially, which is, I mean, it, it's good in the sense that, you know, it was a good distraction. Right. But on a personal level, it doesn't really... It doesn't fulfill anything. Right. And then I'm sure there also on it too. You also sound like a, a generally good guy. So I'm sure there's also that side of it that's like, oh, this also isn't fair to the people. There might be people here who are ready to actually dive into something and I know in my guts that I'm not. So it's not totally fair. Right. Yeah, but then there's also people looking for cheap hookups and uh that's cool too. But then I would uh, I would yeah, uh, I'm- but then sometimes down that road as well. And then sometimes, but even sometimes with that, then you get the adrenaline rush of that, and you're like, "Oh, that didn't solve my problems." And then you, you're like, "Oh, that was sad, empty, hollow sex in a way that wasn't fun," because I'm still sad. Oh no! Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh no, I still don't feel connected to a person, even though I did the most connecting thing you right. can with a person. Right, which actually, if you're like, oh no, I didn't get that lack of connection through an act that's supposed to be a physical demonstration of connection, I somehow feel less connected to humanity than I did before. Oh no. Yeah. And that's the problem with anything yeah. that seems like a quick fix to your problems, right? That's a, pro- that's a lot of different avenues people can go down for the quick fix, but the quick fix is uh, over... It's called quick for a reason, and then and then you, afterwards you're left holding the bag, and sometimes can make you feel even more lonely, more isolated. Yeah, I mean, one of the things the accident did for me, you know, I, I've always been, I started drinking 
pretty early as uh, New York City suburbs go. You know, I was drinking since I was 13 yeah, or I mean, so, you know, just you're from Long Island. and going to the woods. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, you're from Long Island. You, know the drill. you were drinking in the woods from a very young age. Yes, that's just uh, yep. part of being from Long Island. Yes. <laughs> yep, we drink in the woods. Yeah, We r- just find the spot that the police can't find us and we... Yes. Make a bonfire. I feel like, and tell me again if I'm being too stereotypical. I feel like a lot of people grow up and it's like, oh, a game, you might play stickball or manhunt. And Long Island, one of the games you play up is fleeing, growing up is fleeing from the police. That's just a game in Long Island as a teenager. <laughs> yep. Flee from the cops. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, run as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. R- yeah. Run. Run through the woods, hop a fence, run across an entire golf course, hop another fence, and then figure out how to get home from an area where you don't know where you are. That's just like a fun weekend yep. game in Long Island. We have our versions of that in Jersey, yeah. too. Yeah, that, that version on Long Island, the last part of it is, uh, where am I? Is there the Long Island Railroad near me? How long do I have to walk next to the tracks to get home? <laughs> right. Or like the or the real fun one of like, oh, one of my friends had a car. Now I have to just sit here in the bushes at the edge of the road and pray that they're circling looking for me and haven't totally abandoned me. And then it becomes that game of can I hop <laughs> right. into their car and time it out between the cop car circles as well. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Jersey people and Long Island people are. We don't like to admit it, but we're sort of we're sort of cousins. We're sort of culturally cousins. Oh, definitely. And it and it and it also hurt me to even say that. Say what? That you have <laughs> stuff in common with people from New Jersey? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nah, look, none of us like looking in the mirror. And every once in a while, a Jersey person looks in the mirror and what they see staring back at them is a Long Islander and vice versa. And Mm -hmm. it's a hard reckoning, but it's one that we all come to grips with. Here's another thing I'll say, and I'm going to piss a lot of people off with this. There's a lot of stereotypes about both New Jersey and Long Island that I would argue are are Staten Island. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Staten Islanders live some of the stereotypes way harder than we do. Yeah, I, I, I almost feel that Staten Islanders almost feel like a sense of ownership to it, where we're like, no, no, it's not, it's not all of us. Right. We aren't. There's <laughs> more Staten Islanders are like, no, 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 this is Staten Island, this is how we are. Yeah, you're right. I envy Staten Island for that. There's an acceptance and a celebration of ridiculousness on Staten Island, whereas Long Island and Jersey have some shame. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's uh, the byproduct of having uh, Irish and Italian communities being very strong in yeah. Jersey and Long Island. Yeah. All oh, the shame. All oh, the shame. It's the parent shame. Yeah, tons of shame. Yeah. An endless amount of shame. My, my, parents, my parents aren't even religious, and uh, I have a few tattoos, and uh, I... Out of respect, you know, two weeks before I got my first one when I was 18, I sat him down. I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this. I know you hate them, but I want it. I need this. Um, and they went through a slew of arguments. And the best one my dad said to me, word for word, was he goes, you know what bothers me the most? That I won't see my son in heaven. <laughs> and, 
I just felt like such guilt and shame in that moment. I didn't even have the tattoo. I just had an idea. He made me feel shame for an idea. (laughs) Like this is the craziest thing. Wow. He went to heaven that quick. That usually takes a while. I know. I was like, come on, man. Why? (laughs) It's like, why you got to do that? I would like to be in the pearly gates with you as well, but I just want R2-D2 on my calf. That was the tattoo you fought so hard for? That was the one that you got in the fight for, that your <laughs> yeah, dad that said excluded first. you from heaven. Was R2-D2 on your calf? Yep, that's, that was my first tattoo. Now, was it just R2-D2, Which or was he weird, doing he something? He showed me Star Wars. Oh, yeah. No, it's just R2. He's just hanging out. Because I was going to say, this will gauge oh, your level of... Him. I was like, this will gauge your level of Long Island stereotype. Like, if it's, uh, if it's like R2-D2 like shooting a tall boy out of one of his compartments. Then it crosses over to where you are a true Long Island bro uh, in a stereotypical Oh, God, way. yeah. With a tall boy and natty ice just to match the colors. Yeah, exactly. Or if it's yeah, like that. R2-D2 chilling at Jones Beach, then we got some stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. If I ever get the pencil at Jones Beach tattooed on me, someone... Someone who's listening that I know right now, stop me. Yeah. yeah. Stop me and just throw me in the water. Now, listen, we got 10 minutes left, and you laid out a lot of stuff. Oh, this flew by. Yeah, I did. Well, you listen, you laid out a lot of stuff. You let us know where your head's been at for the past three years, dealing with the aftermath of this accident. We got to, we strayed away from that a little bit. I want, I do just want to say um, that I'd, I'd love to hear like, where are you at right now? Where do you anticipate the future going? Do you think you've turned any sort of corner? And and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, I think I have turned the corner. You know, moving, I never really lived on my own. Um, through college, I stayed home just because it's easier money-wise. So this is my first real experience being out of the house and on my own. And it's weird because my goal for so long was just, you know, live on my own, be able to be on my own and be okay with that. And now that I've achieved that goal, I've kind of just been wondering now what? And I think I'm getting to a point where I'm going to push myself more out there because I've moved to Brooklyn, but I don't feel like I've, really ingrained myself into the community as well as I could. And as much as I know it's there. Yeah. And that's, so yeah, I have to say, cause there's Brooklyn is a brand now, right? Brooklyn is a, a little bit of its own stereotype. We've been laughing about some of the New York area, Jersey and Long Island stuff, but I will say that all the jokes about it aside, it still has many elements like you said, of like real strong community and there's, you can go out every night in Brooklyn and see something cool, do something cool, be amongst people who are really motivated and looking to be a part of cool stuff. And uh, if you're there anyway, I can see why that's a priority to start figuring out ways to participate in that. Yeah. Like I actually, um, I saw you at your book signing show. Oh, at the Bell um, House. And yeah, at the Bell House. That was a great, that was an incredible show, Thanks. by the way. Um, 
And I, I think seeing that and how you, you didn't just have stand-up comics, you know, you had uh, that juggler guy who was weirdly dry, but also somehow hilarious. Yeah, Marcus um, Monroe, he, and that act, he's doing a new act with plate spinning that blew my mind. Oh, it was so good. You will like, really impressive. <laughs> you will appreciate this. So I don't want to take too long with this, but uh, my friend Marcus, he's a, he's a juggler by trade, but he is very funny, and he does. There's a lot of crossover. He does a lot of comedy stuff, and I was like, you know, he's kind of an outlier. Maybe I'll have him kick off the show before we get into the traditional comedy. He'll bring that burst of energy. And he wound up doing this act that was mind blowing. And then one of my best friends is named Carmen Christopher. Um, he opens for me on the road a lot, comes out and does that 15 to 20 minute slot. Um, and he went out right afterwards. And he, to this day, is like, I still am looking for ways to get you back because you made me follow that fucking juggler who did the most amazing thing anyone's <laughs> ever seen. And then I got to go out and tell jokes. He's still so mad at me. Yeah, I, I remember seeing him like visibly bothered. <laughs> yeah, he was. Well, because we had all witnessed. We had all witnessed something that yeah. we were like, oh, it's one of those beautiful nights that you can, like we were saying, you can have it in Brooklyn where on some random weeknight you're like, Oh, I just saw art at a level that most people don't ever get to see. And I saw it in person. And I wasn't even expecting it. It cost like, that show cost, I think, like 10 bucks or something. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And then he got to walk out there yeah. and be like, and here's my one-liners. was <laughs> <laughs> like, this is my 10 minutes I have. Uh, but he did great, too. Is it good? <laughs> he did great. He always kills. He always finds the room. Okay, so you were saying, yeah, I interrupted. did really well that day. Yeah. Oh no, no! I, I love hearing the side of uh. Oh my god! That night, it was really fun. It was really fun. <laughs> and now Carmen, and now Carmen, <laughs> following the most amazing <laughs> ten minutes of your entire year. Uh, we also got this guy Carmen. Give it up! Smattering of applause. <laughs> it's fun. He, he doesn't even have a guitar. He's just got him. <laughs> yeah. And now out here by himself, he's got a nice jacket on. Is that, is that going to, anybody? Yeah. Anybody? Hello? Hello? <laughs> is this thing on? But it went well. Yeah. Yeah. We got about five minutes left, my friend. About five minutes. Oh, man. What do we need to cover? Uh, what are the bullet points we haven't touched upon yet? Oof. I mean, we're both pretty nerdy as far as it goes. I love me some Marvel. Mm-hmm. I got an Infinity Gauntlet tattooed as well. Really? Um, Star Wars and Infinity Gauntlet. Do you have any pro wrestling tattoos? Because then you'll have my uh, my Holy Trinity that will get you into heaven. No, I've, I've missed the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. I know. I wasn't allowed to watch WWE growing up because it was too violent. Same here, and I snuck it. I had a... Oh, you... Lucky son of a. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, was, I was always so sad going to school and then being like, "Yo, did you see that?" I was like, "No, I watched. <laughs> I watched Emerald live. That was good." You gotta get an Emerald <laughs> That's tattoo. All we were allowed to watch cooking shows. Emerald tattoo. Oh no! If I was gonna get a cooking show tattoo, it would absolutely be Julia Child. You've thought about this before. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Yep, just just nice portrait, Julia. Yeah, yeah. Can't go wrong there. Looking happy with. Can't, no, can't go wrong there. Um, 
Oh, um, one thing I have wanted to ask you with a quick time left, um, where, where do I even go in Brooklyn to kind of dip my feet into stand up? If you're comfortable saying names of places, you don't have to. Into I know do- they're like somewhat secret. Oh, no, I mean, they're just, you know, they're constantly changing more than their secret. You mean as far as mm-hmm. doing stand up for the first time or watching stand up? Doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of open mics. There's um, one place that I think, give me one second, sorry. <coughs> Still getting over that flu thing. There's one place in Long Island City that, um, which is Queens, um, but right at the end of the G-Line called The Creek in the Cave, and I think that's a traditional spot. They just Rebecca, who runs that place, um, has done a great job for years, and she runs a ton of mics out of her space, and that's a traditional spot that a lot of people go and dip their toes for the first time. And then as far as the mics in Brooklyn go, there's a few websites you can find um, that sort of list directories of the open mics as they happen. You just got to be careful because a lot of times those mics will stop happening or die out and they just still wind up sitting on those calendars. So I want to just call those places right. beforehand and, and make sure they're still happening. But you know, they're in the neighborhoods you would expect. They're in, uh, Bushwick and Greenpoint and still Williamsburg a little bit. And then also a lot in South Brooklyn down, especially Gowanus is kind of, uh, a place where yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, I live pretty close to Union Hall, and I keep seeing that get bigger and bigger. Yeah, Union Hall is doing some great stuff. I've been doing shows there for years, and uh, Union Hall and Littlefield and Bell House, those are great places to watch stand-up. As far as the uh, open mics, I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what's uh, alive right now, just because it's been a little while since I've been coming through that scene, but there's tons out there. I'm trying to think. There used to be a site that... I don't want to say the name because I'm checking right now actually on our computer to see. Yeah, that one's, I think, is it still going on? Um, it's called Bad Slava. That was one that used to, li- they list tons of open mics all over the place. Um, but I think that, I think that they tend to leave up a lot that are not happen anymore i'm even seeing if that oh yeah. yeah no i mean they still have i just clicked on bad slava and they have all the mics that are happening today um bad slava is the one that i think a lot of people have used historically over the years Badslava.com. that's where you find your open mics um and there's all right a, there we go yeah i think there's another one too hold on now i'm just googling for you could have just googled this yourself man <laughs> This is the most anticlimactic hey, I ending. Was this morning. Oh I my was, god! I was googling this morning. I was gonna DM you, Chris. It was the whole thing that I had a problem with. I was like, "Do I DM this man who does not know me, looking for stand-up advice?" And I was like, "No, don't good, bother him." Good instinct. He has too much to do. <laughs> good instinct on that one. <laughs> I was like, "It is ridiculous for me to ask this of him." Yeah, there's also. And now that I'm talking to you today, I'm like, I'm taking my opportunity. Yeah. This is the only time I get to do this. There's a bunch of good open mics, but the one thing I'll say, a few seconds left, don't do the pay-for-play ones. Don't do the ones where they make you pay to do it. There's enough free ones out there. Perfect. All right, that was uh, the most insular ending in the history of the show, just me Googling <laughs> New York open mics for you. I think everyone turned this off 45 seconds ago, but that's okay. It was nice talking to you. 
was just coughing the whole time. Let me see if this website still exists. Caller, enjoy your open mics and just Google it yourself next time. I just Googled it. That's all I did. But thank you so much for your call. Very genuinely. I hope it goes well when you hit up those mics. I hope it's not too depressing as it sometimes can be. And most of all, I hope you keep uh, moving forward and making progress and uh, figuring out how to reconcile that, that dark, dark incident from a few years back as you move forward. And uh, that's a commendable goal, and I, I wish you the best with it. Thank you to Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson in the booth. Thank you to Justin Linville. Thank you, Shell Shag, for the music. I got a lot of dates on the road. I'm always out there. I'm doing stand-up. ChrisGeth.com. If you want to see the cities, get those ticket links. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do. See you next time on Beautiful and Honest. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, you know, there's a lot of jokes about how dads want to keep their daughters out the strip club. What do you do if your dad owns one? So where I'm from, the strip clubs tend to be a little bit more, um, I'm trying to find a way to put this sensitively. (laughs) They tend to be a little bit more uh, party-esque than, like, I know a strip club in general tends to be like a party scene, but... This one in particular is really over the top. Okay, we're dancing around something here. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.